like the man that was touched by you, Jesus, and you healed his blindness and started seeing men like trees. And he came to you and you gave him another touch. This morning we ask that you'll give us another touch and speak to us and minister to us. The reason we come is that we are hungry and thirsting. And Father, I just come as a vessel in your hands that you may use me. I know nothing. I understand nothing. I have no abilities. But that which you'll impart in my spirit, that shall I deliver. And I pray that you're going to sanctify me and use me as a vessel unto honor that I'll bring glory to your name this morning. Father, like a man uses tools in a workshop to shape other things and make and mold, we ask that God you'll use us and use me this morning as a tool in your hands. No, Father, many of us are coming here with questions that are hard to answer. Some in our families, some in our careers, some in the future. And Father, we know that, God, you have all the answers and you have all the, the things that we need in your hand. However great and however vast, some of us are being pulled to a destiny that looks too great and too big for us. Father, we seem, some, seem like, things, some things seem like they are too high. Nothing is too high for you. God, we come yielding ourselves that you may take us beyond what we have known. And Father, that you may make us reach the destiny that you have for us. And that, Father, you may cause us be pillars in your house that are bringing glory to you. And that's why we sit at your feet this morning to hear. And Father, as I speak and as I deliver, I pray that you'll also speak to me. And Father, minister to me. I'm here to hear as I deliver what you have given to me. In Jesus' name we pray and we trust. Amen. 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 I uh, have to get used to the new way of sitting. <laughs> Some people are thrown out uh, of their place. We are looking for where to sit down this morning. Thank you, people that prepare the sanctuary for the changes. And it uh, looks nice. Doesn't it look nice? Amen. We thank you, everyone. I want us to just go in the word of God right away. Um, in the book of Joshua, if you find Joshua, say amen. You've not found Joshua. <laughs> I know what people do. <laughs> if I say, say amen, they, people just say amen, and I think that they have already gone there. <laughs> but if you found Joshua, please <laughs> say amen now. Joshua 23, if you're there. Joshua 23. Amen. I feel like just preaching this morning. and uh, Sometimes you feel like teaching this morning. I really feel like just preaching and, and uh, Sunday and next Sunday till next year. Just taking time to preach and speak the things that God is loading inside my heart. And uh, Victor, help us. This thing makes a lot of noise sometimes. I think we don't need it today. I don't really think we need it. Tony has a key. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Excuse me. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now, Joshua is one of the most interesting books. If you really love reading the Bible, I really ask you to fall in love with this book here called Joshua. This, if there's one piece of paper, that piece of... Uh, uh, one book that, if you ask me to take one book from the whole Bible and just stay with it, I would really take the book of Joshua because this is a book that really teaches 
and tells us what kind of people we are, the generation that we are. And I just uh, pray that the few times we are going to share from this book, you are really going to want to know more of what God says in this book. Let me just read from 23, from verse 1. And chapter 23, by the way, is very much like chapter 1. If you read chapter 23 and chapter 1, you are actually reading almost the same chapter. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. The nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be very careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Without standing aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. Now, the difference between chapter 1 and this chapter is that in chapter 1, they were just about to enter into the land and start taking possession. But when you come to this chapter, they are looking back at what they had already possessed. And that's why Joshua is saying, see how God has prevailed and given you victory over all these nations. You have already conquered most of the land. And you have already possessed most of this land. Thank you. And the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourself with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which your, the Lord your God has given you. Amen? Now, this is, a, this is a nation that God has given a possession. And these are a, this is a group of people that Joshua is addressing, that when they left the land of Egypt as slaves, their fathers were of the ripe age that could go to war. And these ones are the people that were younger than 20 years old. Now, the generation of their fathers are people that refused to obey the Lord, they were disobedient, they were faithless, and we call them a Moses generation. It was a wandering generation. They kept moving around in the wilderness. They never ever managed to go into the land and take possession of it. They rebelled against the Lord. They are the generation that said, manna, manna, it's too much. We need to eat some meat. And God said, you will eat meat until it comes from your nostrils. This is a generation that was stiff-necked against the Lord. And God said, I will wipe out that generation. And the moment they all die, I will take a new generation and take this new generation into the promised land. 
And that generation is what many people call the Joshua generation. Some people call it the wilderness generation. And, but I will call it this morning the generation that entered in. And that's what I'm going to be ministering on. The generation that entered in. We are the Joshua generation. We are the wilderness generation or the generation that entered in to the promises of God. And we want to learn some of the characteristics of this generation so that they can be part of our lives and that we can get something from this generation. Amen? Above all things, I pray that you will not just get notes this morning. I pray that some of the things we will speak and God will help me speak this morning and this coming Sundays until we ride into the next year that these are things that are going to be imbibed in your spirit, that they will become part of your life. That is the reason why we listen to the word of God, that the word will be implanted, implanted inside our lives so that it can help us. Sometimes I see David eating food, and when he gets all the food in, he starts coughing, and when he coughs, all the food comes out. And I look at him and wonder, why did he have to eat? Because he ate and all the food came out. And that's not what we want to be as believers. We don't want to eat the spiritual food and immediately spew it out of our mouths. We want it to come and become a part of us. And we want the word of God to be engrafted in us. So I'm going to be talking about the wilderness generation. The generation that entered in. It is different from the previous generation. The generation that was rebellious against the Lord. The generation of Moses, let me just talk about it a little bit, is a generation that kept looking back and wanting to go back to Egypt. Every time they came to a hard place and to hardship, they always came together and said, let's find a captain among us and ride all the way back to Egypt where we used to eat melons and onions and garlic and you used to eat fish. And they would want to go back. And God would come and strike them. They would repent and then start moving again. Every time hardship comes up, they would want to go back. But God has made another generation in the wilderness in the midst of their rebellion, God was looking at something else. God decided that he was going to give them food. They were going to eat manna every day. They were going to be protected every day. And in the midst of time, they were going to bear children that were going to be their replacement. That they were going to be replaced by another generation. That generation that was going to enter in. Amen. A new generation always comes with a new mentality. I was listening to someone talking about the generation of the younger people. We call it the Generation X. People like calling it the dot-com generation. But the generation of the teenagers that are there now is another totally different generation. They don't understand things the way we understand them. And this was a doctor. He was saying that they are right-brain-minded. They are right-brain-minded. That is, they don't reason, <laughs> left-brain-minded people are like the way men reason things. That one, two, three, and because of these three reasons, I have decided to do this because I see reason one, two, and three. But the teenagers and the generation X that is now uh, use the other side of the brain so much so that they don't reason like that. They just feel and they do what they feel. They say, I feel I want to enjoy myself. I feel I want to hang out. I feel I want to do this. And they do what they feel. And when you talk to them something logical, they think you are talking nonsense. You cannot reason with them. It is another kind of generation. So he was saying that we need to learn how to communicate with Generation X. Sorry to say, but you are not Generation X. <laughs> you, are, <laughs> you are the older generation. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> you never think you'll be called that one day? 
and be out of tune one day that they look at us sometimes and they wonder whether we can understand. They, uh, they say, he, you, can you get it? Sometimes my daughter asks, do you get it? And I can't get it. <laughs> so generations come and go. But I want you to know that God has ordained us and God has called this generation, that is you and me, that are going to live in the year 2006, the generation that entered into the promises of God. That we are the people that are actually going not to talk about the promises of God, but are going to actually possess the promises of God. That we are not going to be the generation that memorizes the commands of God, but we are the generation that is going to be doing the commands of the Lord. Amen? We are not going to be observing a few people flying all over the world, taking the gospel to all the nations. We are going to be the doers of all going to all the world and taking the gospel to all the nations. We are not going to be people that sit back and watch. Because most of the work of the church, the church that has been called to preach to the world, is done by 20% of the population of the church. Most of the giving is given by 20%. Most of the work is done by 20%. We are not going to be the, 20, the 80% that sit, sits back, but we are the generation that is going into the promises of God and that is going to be doers of what God wants us to do. And this is the generation Joshua is speaking to, and we are going to be drawing some of the conclusions from the book of Joshua. Amen? Amen. Now, b before I just go into it, I just want to make sure that we are all in the same page. Amen? When you talk about a generation, generations are defined by characteristics. There's one generation uh, in, in a particular tribe that I know that used to be called, they, they, were, they had hot bodies, they had very hot bodies. And that, by that I mean, these are people, if you mess with them, you will die. They, if they remove their sword like this, and they mean to cut somebody, if you run away and they can't catch you, they will cut themselves. They were a tough generation. Now that characteristic of being mad and always being angry, and always want to kill somebody, that characteristic gave them the name that they were given that they have hot tempers or hot bodies. And that's what, literally that's what they are called. Now, a generation is known by the characteristics that that generation has. And if we are going to be a Joshua generation, it's not just because we are going to be living in the calendar of 2006. Some characteristics have to be found inside our lives that define us as the Joshua generation or as the generation that entered into the promises of God. Amen? And let me just give you the principles. I don't want to run out of time today like I always do. I'm sure I won't finish the message, but I want to just... Uh, if you're writing down, just write this. We must face life. If you're going to be successful in 2006, and if this is going to be your year that you're going to enjoy victory, you must face life and not facing life, not running away from life. You must face life with an unbreakable faith in God. And if, if, if that is something that seems too hard to understand, I'll try and simplify it in terms that we can all, I don't like just releasing statements, 
that are hard to define or understand. So I'll try to, be, to just come and explain it very well. We must face life with an unbreakable faith. Now over the year 2005, over this uh, past 11 months and a half, we have faced situations that are, have been very hard. And some, of, some people have faced death. Some people have faced problems in finances. Some people have faced a life of up and down. You are trying to do go up, but you find yourself going down every time you try to penetrate and go forward. Some of us have faced emotional trials. Some marriages have been shaken to the end. You feel that this is where I come to the end of my life. Some single people have come to the place where you are tempted beyond your natural strength. And you had to call upon God sometimes at a very odd hour. And this has been a very trying year. And I know particularly in your own life, you know the challenges that you have faced. But I want to tell you that these challenges that have been coming to, our, to us and in our way, God is not going to change and stop the challenges. That is not a promise in the Bible. God has not promised that he will remove challenges and problems in our lives. If you read Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Philippians 1, I think 29, it says that you have not, you have not only been called into Christ to celebrate and rejoice, you have also been called to suffer for his name's sake. This is part of the calling. If you remember what uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, speaking to the disciples, Peter came up to him and said, we have left everything, master, and we have followed you. What are we going to get? And Jesus said, no man has left houses, mother, children, uh, brothers and sisters and children that is not going to receive a hundredfold in this life and persecutions, and persecutions with it. And then from this life, you are going to get eternal life. So I'm, I'm not coming here to just give you an euphoric feeling that you are, go, you, are not, you are not going to suffer trials. Trials are going to come. But I want you to note what we are saying is that you must face life as a person with an unbreakable faith that God is going to deliver you from the situation that are, situations that are coming against you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah? Amen. I, I want that to sink in. Because this is when the problems come your way, and when you receive that phone call, and when you receive that, uh, that, uh, that statement from uh, the credit card company, when you receive all those challenges coming your way, or you hear all the gossips people are talking about you, and when you go to work and they fire you, they say, we, don't, we no longer need, need your services. And you hear they are hiring somebody. They are holding an interview to hire somebody else. They no longer need you, so you are fired. And when you face life and those difficult circumstances, that is, I think, the time you need to remember, and God needs to activate this principle inside your life, that you need to receive the word of God, that you need to face life with an unbreakable faith that you cannot be breached in your spirit by anything that comes against you. Amen? Amen. And this is what Joshua is saying. And this is what Joshua actually, Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 was teaching the people of Israel and saying, and this is God speaking to him, but he wrote it down for them to read. God is saying, be strong and very courageous. 
If you are going to possess what God has for you, if you are going to enter into the land that God has given you, the number one thing that you need, the idea to go into the promised land, is be strong and very courageous. Amen? If you want to, have, to know the visa into the promises of God, the visa to Canaan, the visa to Canaan is a stamp that is called strong and courageous. There is no coward. The Bible says cowards are not going to enter in. And it's not the heaven of heavens. Cowards are not going to enter into the promises of God. Canaan is not just a geographical location. Canaan is a thing that God has promised you and that it kept ahead of you. Probably going to school. Probably just uh, buying a house. Probably just getting something. Just acquiring something. So for some people, Canaan is getting a wife or a husband. For some people, Canaan is get, just getting peace in your family. That is the promised land and that is what God has promised you. But you must come to it and the, in order to enter into it, the visa you need on the passport of your salvation is the visa that says that you are strong and courageous. And in fact, he says four times, be strong and courageous. Then he says, be strong and very courageous as you face the issues of life. Amen? Strong doesn't mean that here, Jim, you know? No, that's not what it says. And don't, don't get the mentality that strong means that, that you can fight and, and bring to the floor many people. That's not what it says. Strong means, it's the word chazak. Chazak. If I, if I bring a sponge here, you can all the time punch through a sponge sometimes and even take your hand through it sometimes. But if you talk about this, this is strong. I mean, this is, it is impenetrable. So when Joshua is saying or being told by God, be strong, God is actually using the word chazak. Be chazak, be strong, be impenetrable, be irresistible, that nothing in life can resist you. That when you start moving forward, nothing can stop your motion because you are moving forward and you are impenetrable in your life. He means that, be, that nothing can breach your spirit. Amen? Because some of us are very, very penetrable. Some of us, you are trying to get something, and the moment you hear a no, that's the end of your pursuit. You say, I don't know what God is planning for me this year. Everything is going bad this year. Every, every time I try something, everything is... Now, now sometimes, you, 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 when you behave like that in the presence of the Lord, you're no, not any different from the children of Israel. And this is something that, I, and, and I don't want you to take this as your character. This is something that the devil really wants you to have. The devil wants you to have a mentality that you are supposed to flow through life without opposition. And any time you see opposition, you run the other way. Now, Christianity is not promised to be something like that. God gave them the promised land. But there were giants in Canaan. If that land is good... And if what God has promised you is good, there will be giants in the way. There will be something that will try to stop you. The devil will stand in your way and he will try to stop you. So you must teach yourself and strengthen yourself on the inside that you will not be penetrated or breached by anything. Amen? That they try and people will speak and people will start gossiping. And some of us, I don't want to go into real life situations, but some of us are that way. You go and apply for a job somewhere, they ask you some questions, and you disappear, never to come back. And they were just inquiring. 
They were not really after just, they were not after whatever you are doing and whatever, why you are here. They were not after all that. They were just after, these are routine questions. They were just waiting to hear you say something. They wouldn't even listen. They are just there, just marking some things off. They are ready to give you a job. But once they ask you questions, you don't come back. And you disappear forever. And say that, they, that it's that place. Don't even try to go there. And, and that's not what it's all about. Some of us look at life and when we see a situation that God is actually laying on our lap, something that is so direct, we run away when nobody is pursuing us. The wicked run when nobody is pursuing them. But the righteous, the Bible says, are as bold as lions. Now I want you to see this generation. The Moses generation was different. And this is the mentality that I want us to shift from. Because the Moses generation, they were told to go into the promised land. And God said, you go, I've given you the land. The almighty God who defeated Pharaoh is saying, go, I've given you the land. They saw his mighty hand open up the Red Sea with their own eyes. He says, go, I've given you the land. Every morning he brings rain and that rain is food. And they have seen the power, and he says, go, I've given you the land. But that generation had eyes that magnified problems. See people that see a bill of $30, and they think it's 300 they can sleep. They have a way of magnifying problems. So they were magnifying this problem, and they said, we can't go in. They are the Nephilim. The ground swallows the people that live there. This is the report they brought Twelve of them, they came back after 40 days and they came back with fruit. They came with grapes and people were eating the grape, grapes from the valley of Eshkol. And they were saying, wow, all these fruits are the fruits we are going to be eating. They said, no, no, we cannot go in because there are giants in that land. Now, in the Moses generation, that's the way people saw things. But in the Joshua generation, this is a new generation. Let me show you this generation here. Are you ready to read the word? Joshua, let's go back to Joshua a little bit. <laughs> then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the land. So you go down there, you find they were hidden. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down at the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. And blah, blah, he goes down. You go down. And uh, I just want to show you something. When we had, okay... Verse 14, our lives for your lives, the men assured her, she's now asking for her life. 
if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she led them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in the, was, part, was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have, you have tied this scarlet cord on the window through which you let us down. Now if you read this whole story, and I know some of you have probably read it, this woman is a prostitute. And she decides in the city the best place, she is very strategically positioned. The best place for a prostitute will be by the city gates to see the foreigners and the guys that are coming in into the city. And now you find these guys, the spies, are not religious men. Because if they were religious men, they wouldn't have even knocked the house of a prostitute. But they, these are wise kingdom people. This is what they do. They walk to the house of a prostitute because they know the prostitute knows the whole city. He knows, she knows everything about the city. And so they went there and they were hiding. They were there and some people came wanting to kill them. And they knocked on the door. And the prostitute took them upstairs and hid them and covered them with some, some uh, glass and just hid them there. So the house was such, they were not there. And so at night, she took a rope and lowered them to the other side outside the city and they ran away. And for three days they were hiding in trees and in the forest. For three days, fearing for their lives. Because some people were searching for them with arrows and wanted to kill them. Now... If this was the Moses generation and the spies in Moses generation went out to spy and they went through the same ordeal, what do you think would they would have said when they came back? Because when they went, when the 12 spies were released by Moses, they never encountered any fighting. They even were able to bring back some fruits from the land. They never were tortured by anybody. They never had to hide from anyone. They were welcomed as guests and as visitors. But these men here are even running for their lives. They are hiding at night for their lives. But when they came to Joshua, they said, God has given us the land. This land is ours. So that instead of magnifying the problem, they were diminishing the problem in their very own eyes. Because their eyes were focused on the God who is able to deliver them. Amen? An unbreakable faith. An unbreakable faith in your spirit is a faith that will look at a problem and at a situation that you are even near death and be able to say that my God is still able to deliver me from this. And you are going to look at a situation that seems impossible with all men and you say that this is where God's possibilities begin and I'm going to trust in him. Amen? That you are going to trust in the power of a God that is able. Romans 4.21 Romans chapter 4, verse 21. Romans 4, 21. Talks about the faith of this man here, Abraham. Says, yet, verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded. Being fully persuaded. Someone said, 
you are being persuaded beyond conviction. You know where you, you, are, you are convicted or convinced about something. But this man was persuaded beyond conviction that God had power to do what he had promised. This is where you base your faith. And this is where you lie your faith. And this is where you hang your faith. You don't hang, hang your faith on God did it for somebody so he will do it for me. You say in your heart, I know my God is able to do this for me. My God is able. So you put and lay your trust in that God that is able. Amen. The faith, our faith should be anchored in the power of God. You need to know. That God wants us to have faith. But the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. For anyone that comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently trust in him or put their faith in him. Amen? Are you getting anything? Because you are just looking at me. And I know it's not very cold. And I don't want to fly everywhere. Until I know that this thing has sunk in your heart. The victory that you'll get in your Christian life is just by faith. If you are not building faith inside your life, you are going to perish. We are not going to be a church that doesn't believe and trust in God. We'll be a church that is doing more and greater things because we trust in a God that is able. Don't live within your means. You live beyond, within the means of God. I don't like eating from heart to mouth. Only when I'm eating from God's hand to my mouth, that is the way I like it. Because I know that he'll never get exhausted. The resources in his hands will never get exhausted. There is no situation that I'll ever face in this life that my God cannot deliver me from. And even when he does not, it's because it is in my own good way, it's in my own good interest that he doesn't deliver me from those situations that I may learn. But he is able to deliver me from any fire that the enemy can throw me into. He's able to deliver me from any emotional situation. The challenges may be there. My God is able to come and deliver my family and myself from anything that we may face that is coming in the future. So I face life and I face the issues of life with a lot of boldness and with a lot of courage. And my faith cannot be broken. I'm, not, I'm going to be strong 10 years from now. I'm going to be better than I am. You come to me those days, I'll be richer than I am. I'll be stronger than I am. I'll know God more than I do now. Because the God I trust in, he cannot be discouraged. The Bible says that, don't you know that the Almighty shall never be discouraged? So he, when he starts doing something, he will continue to do it. He never gives up. He never loses hope. He will always do it for he has the power to accomplish many things even beyond that we can ever think of. Amen? I hear that we have so many planets. We have so many uh, stars. We call them stars. But there are many planets. Over a billion of them. Over a billion. They say that there are so many of them. And God just said, let there be stars in the sky. And we marvel at that small house that we have. That you have just bought a house. A very tiny piece in a very tiny continent of the planet Earth. And God spoke the whole world into being and said, let there be the Earth. Let there be the, the sky, stars in the sky. And let there be the firmament that divides them. And there was just like that. 
What an awesome God we trust. And if this God is on our side, nobody can be against us. They may try, but they will never prosper against us. That's why he says, there is no weapon that can be fashioned against you that will prosper. Because he knows that he's able to frustrate the weapons of the enemy and he's able to bring them down. So we need to face life and the situations coming against us. We need to face them with a faith that cannot be broken. An unbreakable faith. Amen? An unbreakable faith. An unbreakable faith that God is able to help me stand. That even if I feel weak as a believer, even if there are challenges in my Christian life, that my God is able to settle me and help me and make me the believer that he wants me to become. That I can be a righteous man, that I can serve the Lord, that I can have integrity, that he can establish my faith, for he is able to do that. Amen? Amen. So we need to face life with an unbreakable faith. Always looking at situations in life and minimizing the hard situations rather than magnifying them. And I don't know how to say it, but I, there's something that you have to hear from the Spirit of God. You have to hear the voice of God speak to you and tell you inside your spirit that I am with you and I'm on your side. And you need him to open your eyes to see the bigness and the greatness of God to know that when he's on your side, you don't need anybody else to stand with you. Elijah stood one day alone against all Israel and the prophets of Baal, alone with God. But alone with God is the majority. I better stand alone but with the Almighty God. Amen? Amen. And that's something else that we need to have in our faith is where our faith is based on obeying the word of God. So Now, faith is not just a feeling inside. It's not a feeling that we have inside. And I... I pray that you get this. Faith is not that I am believing God for a million and I'm not going to doubt. And I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to doubt. That's not how you build faith inside your life. Faith is seeing this word of God and leading what God has said about you and to you and believing that God cannot lie. That this word is dependable. I can stand on this word in the midst of the ocean and I will not sink because God is on my side. This is what the Bible, the word of God teaches us. That faith is that word when that word is spoken inside us and that word is ringing inside our hearts and we grab it and obey it and obey it. That is when God has given us the faith that we need. Look at Joshua taking the children of Israel around Jericho, and they are doing that to bring a wall down. And th there's no strategy. That is not a military strategy. It's not a military strategy to go around a wall so that you can conquer it. it is, even actually people looking at you will think that you are crazy. You don't know what you're doing. But every morning, Joshua, a man of war, is walking around a wall because God said it. And so... He has nothing else he has to obey. And I had one preacher say that when his older grandfather, who was a preacher, uh, saw that he had a calling, he called him and he said, young man, I want to tell you the secret of your ministry and the secret of life. And this is how you are going to serve the Lord. If God tells you to go and hit your, wall, hit your head on a wall, on a brick wall, you run towards the wall and God will make a hole in that wall. If God tells you to jump, you jump. If he tells you to sit down, sit down. If he tells you in the midst of the people, start barking, you start barking. 
Because he has said it. Amen? There's no faith without learning to obey the word of God. And the men today that we respect and honor, the men that we respect and honor in the word of God are men and women that actually obeyed the word of God and they stood with the word of God no matter what they were told. Why would we honor Abraham? Abraham is not honored because he was a rich man. That's not even talked about much. We know and honor Abraham because God came at a time that biologically he wasn't supposed to have a child. God said, you will have a child. His body was as good as dead. But God said, you will have a child. And he believed God. And he dared to trust in God. The womb of his wife Sarah was dead, practically dead. But God said, you will bear a child. And even Sarah laughed. But God came and gave him a child. Amen. God came to Mary and said, Mary, you will be a child. And Mary said, how can that happen? I'm a virgin. I have not known any man. And God said, that, that she said, whatever you want, let it happen to me. And God came at the proper time, overshadowed her by the power of the Spirit. And she bore a child. Many people would not have believed what had happened. Many people I know may argue that Joseph was the father of the child. But God is the one who knew and who knows how to do things Beyond the reasoning of a man. Samson, born out of a miracle. Manoah, his father and, and, and the wife were barren. God came and promised them a child. Hannah was promised a child by God at a later age in her life. And she was known to be a barren person. And these are barren situations. When we say barren, it's not somebody that has not been lucky. We are talking about someone who probably the doctors have said that you have fibroids or you have, there's no way you can bear. You have no tubes or your tubes are tied. There's no way you can bear. And over the years they couldn't bear. But God came and spoke and said it will happen. And when he says it, it will happen. That's why we need to learn how to obey what God says, however he says it. If we hear it from God, do it like a foolish man. I love the way Billy Graham puts it. He says that I trust, I believe it when they tell me that Jonah stayed in the mouth, in the stomach of a whale, in the belly of a whale for three days. Now, you know, biologists can't believe that. How, do you, how did he breathe? How did he breathe inside the tummy of a, the belly of a whale? Why wasn't he digested? There can be all kinds of arguments. But Billy Graham says, even if God came back and told me that Jonah swallowed the whale... I will believe it. <laughs> and that's why some of these men do great exploits. Because they believe God. Whatever God says, they just want to believe that that, it, that is the case. That is the case. And I, I'm praying that God will deliver us from a spirit of skepticism that is flowing through the civilized world. Where everybody is trying to question the word of God. And trying to reason with it. And trying to explain it out. And saying, you know, those floods were like a tsunami. That was like, those frogs were just a biological thing that happens. And frogs are everywhere. Those locusts are like the ones that, they try to explain off the miracles of God. And this is folly and foolishness to even try to imagine that God is not able. It's like, it's like, we are, our thoughts and God's thoughts are very far. God goes in the dust of the soil, takes the soil, molds that soil, and makes a human being with a mind, with a brain so intelligent 
that we don't even use 2% of our brain many times. People die without using 2% of it. Very complicated. The brain itself, very, very complicated. But God just went to the soil. He just molded something, and he made man out of that. And so we are soil. And if you don't believe it, go to one of the graves. Or look at the TV when they bring out, they exhume some bodies. That is dust. It is nothing. That's what we are. And we are sitting here trying to reason with God and saying, hey, why? How, how can that happen? I don't see how that happens. Unless you explain it to me, I don't see how. You don't know anything. There's nothing we know. When you think you have figured God out and you know everything about God, he makes a donkey speak in Hebrew. Clear Hebrew. And someone is riding the donkey and the donkey speaks Hebrew to him and he answers back without even thinking that this is a donkey. And he answers back. Instead of running for his life, I mean, if a donkey speaks to me, (laughs) even with all that I've seen on TV now, animals talking, I'll be gone. When you think you have figured out God in every way, he comes to the Red Sea, opens it up, makes a way there, and then closes it in and finishes. He buries, he does a funeral in the waters that has a funeral of so many soldiers on the same day and solves all the problems of the children of Israel. He, God says, do not try to avenge yourself. I know how to revenge. And all the children of Israel saw the men that were beating them every day. They saw them buried in the waters in one day. You know what they did? They saw God open the Red Sea and they said, ah, this is just a natural phenomenon. However, I'm a loyal person naturally. But if the Red Sea opens and I see God's people have been following them, I see them crossing over, I'm not going in there. I won't. Because the God that opened it can close it in. So they, they, just, they just went on their, with their donkeys and with their horses. They, they entered into the ocean and trying, trying to pursue those people. The Bible says God came and started removing the wheels from their carts. And he started fighting against them. So someone hears that the wheel is gone. So he gets down. This is water. This is water. It's far on that side. It's far on that side. So they tried to repair so that the, the horse can get them out. But as they were repairing, the waters came back and he finished everything. And this is the God that in 2006 or in 2005, because we are in the U.S., we are trying to reason and figure him out. Let's figure this God out. It, it doesn't happen. He says that his thoughts are so far from our thoughts like the heavens are from the earth. Can you try, try to see yourself? And I'll try to use this analogy. And I know it's not adequate. But do you know a, a, a small insect? Talk, talk about a termite. And you are looking at a termite, trying to explain the internet to a termite. Try explaining the internet to a termite. You, you don't even have language. Where do you start? If you look at it, if you blow to a termite, that's a tsunami, or that's a tornado. If you spit on it, that's a tsunami right there. And I see somehow God is awesome. Some of the things we think are so mighty and powerful, it's nothing to him. The Bible says in Psalms that 
we used the, the, the blow, he blew with his nostrils on the Red Sea and it opened up. That he was, he just did, and then the whole night, the thing just opened up. So God is so great. Imagine a termite trying to reason with you. You can crush it and crush its grandfather and all their clan at the same time. <laughs> and not even feel it. So God, may God help us that we see the greatness and the bigness of God. And we understand that this is the God we have trusted in. He is able to deliver us. Our faith is based on what he says and what he tells us. And we obey what he says without any question because what he says will have to come to pass. If God looks at you and today calls you a rich man, just be happy. You'll be rich. Because the, his word is creative. It has the power to make you what he calls you to be. He looks at a shepherd boy and says, you are a king. And people laugh and say, you go back. You don't even wash your feet. You go back and look after sheep. But he comes at the right time and raises that shepherd boy into kingship in Israel. Amen? So we need to be, have an unbreakable faith. And that's what I want us to have. An unbreakable faith that doesn't run away from problems. There's a, there's a PowerPoint I want to show you back there. If you have that PowerPoint, just bring it. The PowerPoint on the lion's den, it's, it's somewhere there. And this is, a, this is the life of Daniel. It doesn't matter what problems come your way. Amen? That's, it doesn't matter what problems come your way. Some of us are not having as big problems. What matters is the faith we have inside us. Because we have seen saints that have gone through many huge problems and they have stood their ground. And some cannot stand even a small fire. Now, if you, if you study the life of Daniel, Daniel suffered some trials that no man, I think no man has ever suffered. Now, if you know lions, lions are designed to kill. God, in his own creative way, created the lion as a killer. It is a killing machine. It knows how to hunt kill and destroy. And they were made hungry so that if Daniel is thrown in there, he was not supposed to reach the ground. He was supposed to be thrown in the lion's den and he was supposed to be chewed and this man had properly designed it. But Daniel went, opened the door to his, uh, the window to his house. He wasn't hiding when he was praying. He looked towards Jerusalem and he continued to pray. Why was he praying towards Jerusalem? It's not because he was feeling like, it's because Solomon had prayed in the opening of the temple and he had said, if we ever go into captivity because of sin and we pray looking towards the temple, our God, you will hear us and you will answer us. That's why Daniel is praying every day, opening his window, looking towards Jerusalem and praying towards that house where his deliverer was. So these people conspired and decided we are going to kill him. But he has an unbreakable faith, a faith that man cannot break. Because he knows what God says, he will do it no matter what. So he went down and he started praying. They came, held him, took him to the lion's den. The lions had been made hungry for three days so that they would chew him. They were being, ready, being made ready for Daniel. And so they threw Daniel inside. And the Bible says in the morning, the king never slept the whole night. In the morning, the king ran to the, to the top of the, of the den and he said, Daniel, may you, are, may you live forever. And he said, he answered the king, 
May you live forever, king. And if, again, this is another place I would have run away. If a man who has spent a whole night with lions, and these lions are alive, they are just hungry and just asking for food. And when the door opened, they thought something else was coming. And a man answers from those lions, I won't be there. I'll be gone. Now, he answered and said, my God has kept me here the whole night. Some people say that he, he slept on the belly of a lion. That one lion slept, and then he slept on the belly as a pillow the whole night. But look at this. Now, this, this drawing is a very interesting drawing. Somebody drew this picture, and I think he, he knew what he was doing. An older man was brought this picture by a woman. And this woman said, what do you see in this picture? And the man looked, he said, wow, the lions, they are hungry. It's like something is blocking them from coming towards Daniel. And she kept saying, no, I want to see you to see something else. And the man kept looking and saying, the light of God is shining upon Daniel. She said, no. And the, this argument went on for about 10 minutes until the woman said, the thing is, Daniel is not looking at the lions, he's looking at God. That's where his focus is. As, as he goes through this particular trial, Daniel must have been looking up to heaven and looking up to God who is his deliverer. I imagine some of us, in a situation like this, you forget even where heaven is. And you are fighting with the lions. You start looking at the lions and calling your mother. This is when, this is when some people get so scared and forget that there is a God that is living in heaven. But he has his gaze towards the heavenly father. That is where he brings all his bills. All his overdue, everything that they are saying that we are going to cut your electricity. We are going to do this against you. He brings them to God and his focus is on the living God. That is where our faith should be founded. And that is where our faith should be grounded. And I want you to remember this picture every time you think about your trials. What would you do? This is not where you say, I have a good pastor. I think the intercessory team is praying for me. This is not the situation like that. You may have the best pastor in the world, but when they throw you in the lion's den, it depends on the God you know for yourself. You have to really believe in yourself. If they have to drive by your house and, and just or send an ambulance every time there's a trial in your life, you have to send an ambulance from the church to pick you and bring you to service. This is, you cannot survive in this kind of a situation. This is not for Christians that are just churchgoers and you're just there, just, you, you're just waiting for this message to end and, and you go have your lunch and you've been to church. This is not the kind of Christianity. We are talking about a place where you know how to stand on your feet against the power of the enemy. And where you stand by your faith and you can look at situations on the face and say, I don't know many scriptures, but I know my God is able to deliver me from this situation that you are throwing me in. And even if he doesn't, I'll still continue trusting in him because that is what he has said. This is the same power that was in Shadlach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were thrown by Nebuchadnezzar in the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar threw three men, and he sees four, and he's counting one, two, three, four. He starts, four, three, two, one. I don't see, I don't know how, we threw three men inside. He cannot, he cannot understand what's going on. And he says, the other one looks like the son of man. 
And our God is able to come even in your situation and see you through that situation. He doesn't always deliver. And sometimes his will is not to get you out of the situation because he wants you to be strong. He sometimes allows you to go through it, but he comes and stands in you, with you through that situation so that he delivers you. And when you come out, you don't even smell like you are in that situation. Amen? There are people that you see wealthy today, but I'll tell you that they don't, they don't smell any poverty in their lives, but that's not how it has been all their lives. Amen? When they came out, they didn't smell any smoke. Some of you grazed cattle, sheep, smelled like sheep and cattle. <laughs> but if someone meets you now, <laughs> that's not what you smell. <laughs> they don't, some, some people may even think that you don't know how a cow looks like. People never wore shoes until they were probably 15 or 14. Never wore shoes. But nowadays, I know a man who, if he dresses up nowadays, you will say, wow, that's... But he never wore shoes until he was 15 years old. That's when he wore shoes. But God delivers you and he makes sure that you don't even smell the smoke. That's how you are going through. You think that's where you, people will look at you 10 years, 20 years from now, and they can't even tell that you waited like six years before you got a wife from the time you became ready. <laughs> Amen? That's what it means. That's what it says. It's not written there as a Bible story. It means that. That you will not smell the things that you have gone through. So as you go through it, see the future. See what God has in store for you in the future because that's what matters. Amen? And I want to move on a little bit. Just, uh, so we are facing 2006 with an unbreakable faith. That is something that I want to hear resounding inside this church, resounding in your life that I am going through this year with an unbreakable faith. And all the promises that God has given me are going to be mine. And I'm not going to waver at any of the promises of God. If he says it, it's going to be mine. And I'm going to believe for it and I'm going to stand for it. Amen? Now, you, the another thing is, the another principle I want you to learn about these people is that they became the custodians or the owners of the word of God. They owned the scriptures. And we must be a people that are going to own the scriptures and see the scriptures as our own. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 20. And I'm not spending a lot of time with this one. I'm not moving at all today. Uh, verse 20. Second Corinthians, not first. Are you, if you get there, say amen. Are you sure you are there? I saw something interesting in the news this morning. I, I think some of you saw it. Did you see the man in Olathe who was uh, in a gas station and a thief came in with a gun this morning? 
uh, the thief just came in, in a, to a gas station with a gun, a young man, and he pointed the gun to this guy. He's from Egypt, an older man. And uh, it was all caught on video. The older man is trying to grab the gun <laughs> from this thief. And when he couldn't grab it, because the man ducked, he ran around the counter and came out and was chasing a man holding a gun. <laughs> and the news people are saying, don't try to do that. <laughs> but that's what he did. You'll see it in the news today. That's what he did. He was chasing a man who is holding a gun. So when they came back to question him, he said, it's not about the money. We shouldn't allow these guys to continue stealing from, <laughs> from us. <laughs> Verse 20, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made. I like it in the King James. See, for all the promises of God in him, in Jesus. In him, when he says in, in him, he says, he means in Jesus. Are yea and amen. And in him, amen unto the glory of God by us. When he says amen, it means, amen means let it be so. That yea I think someone stole it from here, from the Bible. It's King James. Yeah. For all the promises of God in him are yeah, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. We are the one that, ones that say amen, and we say, let it be so in our life. Every single promise in this book, I don't care whether it's in the Old Testament or it's in the New, the Bible says, when I am in Christ, when I come to Jesus Christ, I can stand by the promises of Deuteronomy 28 and they are mine. That I will be blessed in the city and out of the city. That is a promise to me, myself, and I. Amen? That is my promise. It's not just our promise. It's not what the Bible says. That is mine. When God says, you will lend to many nations and not borrow. He is speaking to me. That is about me, he's saying. When he says that I will have peace, that my enemies will come one way and they will disappear seven ways. I love to see that, but that promise is mine. And I stand by it. Amen? The NIV says here, and I'll read it in the NIV, for no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That we are the ones that say, let it be so in my life. That when I hear a promise in the word of God, I say amen to that promise in my life because that promise is mine. Amen? Now even if it's not so, if that is not true, then we better close our Bibles and just stay away. Because it means that we, nothing is true in this word. But I want to tell you that the word of God is true, and what God says, it is ours. Now the generation that entered in is the generation that say, had God say, you are, that land is yours. That land belongs to you. I've given you that land. And they said, yes, that is my land. And they woke up and they decided to go for it. They, they believe the word of God. Many times when we read the word of God, many of us actually don't believe the word of God. Many of us read the word and we don't believe that God is speaking about us and to us and we think that God is speaking to somebody else about something else. And may God help us. 
That we become people that are owners, that are the custodians of the word of God. That it has been entrusted to us and we are taking it as our own and we are leaving it by ourselves. Amen? When 70 years were over, Daniel had been reading the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah had said, and this time Daniel is not a big shot among the prophets. He's not known as a prophet. He's only known as a prophet later. Later in our writings. And we honor Daniel more than he was honored among the Israelites. But he read in the book of Jeremiah where it says, After 70 years, I will come back and deliver you. And he started praying and saying, God, your word says. And he took a 21-day fast. And God came and said, I have heard your prayer. Because he had read in the scriptures and he took that word to be his own word. Amen? And I, I just challenge you. I won't challenge you to read the whole Bible. Because it's easy to go and read the Bible. But my challenge to you, my challenge to you is that believe the word of God. Believe the word of God and own the word of God. And as you read it, put, those script, put your name in those scriptures. And let your name be the one that you, are, that you can say, when God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can put your name there and say, Congo can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. That whatever situation I'm facing, I can say that I can do this one through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? When you face fear that you can stand by a scripture and stand by it, and you know the scriptures to stand by at the right time. So you, we must become owners of the prophetic word and take the scriptures to be something that we own and we possess. The children of Israel had been given the geographical location of their promised land. And they went for it. They believed God. They said, we are the generation that is taking that and making it our own. If God promises to bless his children, he doesn't have grade one and two of children. I'm going to be among those ones that he's blessing. If God says, go to the whole world, he is saying that to me. That command is mine. If he says, serve me and worship me, I am the one that he's speaking to. And I'm going to be counted as one that is obeying the word of the living God. So my challenge to us is that own the word of God. And let this word be your friend. Where you read it and believe it and trust that what he says, he's speaking to you. And that word is brought to you directly from the mouth of God. Amen? Now the last thing I want to, to just mention, and I'll mention it in passing. That we must be ready to fight for the kingdom suffers violence and the violence take it by force. Matthew 11, verse 12. Matthew 11, verse 12. Uh, Victor, are you? Time? Okay. Just uh, five minutes. We, we want to release you. Five minutes. Victor is going to Kenya. So if you have a bag or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you can quickly run to Walmart and shop and Matthew 11, verse 12. <coughs> Amen. Matthew 11, verse 12. And I'll just read that, and uh, I'll come back to that later in some discussions. Matthew 11, 12. Do you have it? <coughs> he says, <coughs> from the days of John the Baptist, those are many years ago, about 2,000 years ago, until now, and this now, is the continuous present until now when you read it. It's, it's the prophetic uh, present that when you read it, it is true now. 
from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. I like King James again here. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffereth. That's biblical. It sounds very spiritual. Suffereth violence. And the violence take it by force. Here he says that has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. The kingdom of God suffers violence. Kingdom of God suffers violence. And this is a concept that many people have never grasped. They think that the kingdom has, there's no challenge against the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is just flowing, there's no fight. When you get saved, everything is smooth. I remember choruses we used to sing, they are lies. We used to sing lies. <laughs> that when you get saved, everything goes well, smooth. It's like you are flowing through a valley, a smooth land. But I want to tell you that it's not like that. Anything about the kingdom is advancing by force. And please, don't lie to yourself. I hear the ostrich, when it faces an enemy that it cannot fight, it hides its head under the sand. And assumes that because it cannot see the danger, then the danger is not there. And it's exposing the whole body outside. I mean, if you're attacking an ostrich and it hides its head, you are free to attack it the way you want. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that suffers. If you are are saved, I want you to know that now you have an enemy. His name is called Lucifer, Lucifer or Satan. He is going to fight you. Do you know why we still have many problems in Iraq nowadays? It's because there's one country that decided that the war is over and another country decided that the war has just begun. So some people said, oh, the war is over. We are declaring the end of the war. So they brought all their heavy equipment back and somebody else said, this is when now we send in troops so that some people are just dying and dying. Well, in the days where both of them had declared war, it was the other way around. Amen? And we laugh at some countries, and sometimes that's what we do. We, we, are, we, we think that the devil is not fighting against us. Well, he's fighting against us. And we need to learn how to fight, and to fight an enemy that we can face. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's all stand up and pray. And I pray that God will help you and me that as we face the year 2006, this is going to be a very wonderful year. It's an year that we are going to take off in many areas of our lives. And as a church, we are going to take off from ground. I know and I challenge all of us to trust in a God that is able to help us, to deliver us, to give us victory. And we lay our trust in him and he's going to give us that victory. Amen? Let's all pray and and thank him. Awesome and mighty God, we thank you, and we give you the praise and the glory. And Father, we are grateful because you are greater than all our needs and all our problems. And we pray that you will teach us to trust in you and to have a faith that cannot be broken by anything. A faith that, is, that the enemy cannot resist. A faith that can stand under any trial and under any fire.
And we pray that, God, you're going to build it in our lives and in our hearts. And, Father, that you put in us a spirit that is aggressive and violent against the works of the enemy. That as we move forward in the kingdom, we will take the frequency of the kingdom and flow with it. And, Father, this time it's the violence. We pray that you help us be violent in our spirits against the works of the enemy, that we may be victorious in all that we do. And we give you the praise and the glory. For we know that you accomplish it in our hearts and in our lives. For you are a glorious God. We thank you, Heavenly Father. And we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. I want to just uh, pray with some people that you really feel that God has something in store for you. And the future is bright for you. But you waver in your faith. And you've not really been able to stand in your faith and trust God. That God is going to help you. That you, you feel you need to make a connection with that faith that is unbreakable. Just raise up your hand wherever you are and we are going to pray with you. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, that you give us a fresh connection with your spirit and with your power. That Father, we will have also a faith connection that God, we will stand against the works and the powers of the enemy without being shaken by anything. That we will stand strong and be able to fight against an enemy that is continuously fighting against us. We pray for victory. We pray for your power and strength on the inside that God you will give us victory in all the situations that we are facing. That 2006 is going to be our year of prosperity in every way. That our souls will prosper. That our spirits and our hearts will prosper. Even as we prosper in finances and in every other area of our lives. That our family life will prosper, our God. And we just give you the praise and the glory. For this you will accomplish in our hearts. Lord, we thank you and we give you the praise. We pray for our brother Victor, our father, as he goes home. We pray that you bless him. And Father, we pray that you give him a journey masses and give him success, Lord, in his journey in the name of Jesus. We pray for our, our other brothers and sisters that are at home also uh, in Kenya and others, others that have gone back to other countries. Our Father, we pray that you protect them and watch over them. And Father, that you may lay a burden in their hearts for the continent of Africa in the name of Jesus Christ. That as they come back, they will come with a fire burning in their souls and they are going to be imparting that into us. And Father, that we will do what you want us to do. And Father, we love you and we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. God bless you so much. Take your seats. I want to just... Uh,